Okay. Acts chapter 18. We uh, ended last two weeks ago. I told you I wasn't going to continue in Acts while we were out at the farm, and I didn't. So we're picking up where we left off. Paul had finished his second missionary journey, and he left Corinth, sailed over to Ephesus, and he dropped off a young couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. Now, Paul had not preached there before. There wasn't a church there. But obviously, there must have been some believers because he left Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus to, to, to share everything he had taught them. Remember, for a year and a half, he lived at their house, he worked with them, and he shared with them his passion. He shared with them doctrine. He shared with them all of the things that you find in the letters that he wrote to the different churches. He shared with them, and so when they get dropped off, they're prepared. And so they stay in Ephesus. Paul goes on down. He visits Jerusalem, and then he goes back up to Antioch to give a report. Because remember, Antioch was the missionary church. They're the ones who sent him out. And so he gives a report back to Antioch, and he gets the itch. He gets the preaching bug. I need to go back and see how all these churches are doing. Some of them he started, he, and, and he's been back to visit them once, and then he says, it's time to go back. I need to see how they're doing. Because it takes time to grow. Almost 20 years have passed since the time that the church started in Jerusalem. Paul has been, now he's getting ready to go on his third missionary journey. And he's going to leave Antioch up here. Down here is Jerusalem. He visited there, went up to Antioch, the sending church. And this time he's going by land and he goes to Tarsus. Of course, that's his hometown. He wants to go back and preach at his hometown. It's kind of nice, isn't it? You know, get to go back and people hear you that have it. He hasn't been there for quite a while. And then he goes cross country. Derby, Iconium, Lystra, Antioch. Now these may not have very good memories for Paul like his hometown. Because in one of them he got stoned and was left for dead. But he goes back and he visits the churches. And so let's pick up now in Acts chapter 18, verses 23 through 28, as he starts this missionary journey. But we're going to see that God opens up a story of another and having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region of Ferga, Fergia, strengthening all the disciples. Well, that's the start of his missionary journey. And then they press pause. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Okay? Now, a Jew named Apollos 
an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. And this man, having been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go to Acacia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Christ. So, interestingly enough, we, as they, they say, okay, Paul's leaving on his third journey, and by the way, there's a guy by the name of Apollos. Uh, and Apollos, who is this guy? It tells us a little bit about him. It says he's an Alexandrian by birth. Alexandria, Egypt. He's an Egyptian. So here's this Egyptian man who was Jewish, most likely a proselyte, that had gone to Jerusalem. He had been trained in the scriptures. He had, he had, he had his... He had gone to the university, right? He, the seminary, the Jewish seminary. He had gotten his credentials because it says that he was mighty and accurate with the word. And at some point in time, as he came to know who Jesus was, right? He was there, most likely there for the crucifixion and the resurrection. But probably left before Pentecost. Because he knew nothing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He knew only of the baptism of John. John the Baptist. And so he goes off, most likely back to Egypt... And he's telling people. And for 20 years, he's been traveling, telling people about Jesus, but he didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He only baptized, like John did, for repentance. If we were to look back at what John, the Baptist, as he spoke, he said, one will come after me, Jesus Christ, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here's this guy. He's eloquent. He's a good preacher. He's accurate. He takes the scriptures, and he goes to the Jewish people, and he shows them about Jesus, but he doesn't know about the Holy Spirit yet. He's baptizing like John would have baptized. But when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, 
they got baptized for a different reason, not for repentance. Because repentance comes through Jesus Christ now. They got baptized to identify with the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. They got baptized to say, I I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Romans tells us, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. The baptism, the believer's baptism, is an outward sign of an inward change. Some people say, well, Pastor, why are you guys so strict on how you get baptized? You know, I got poured on. Is that okay? I got sprinkled. Well, I don't know about you, but sprinkling doesn't look much like the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we baptize by immersion. And, and so here's Aquila and Priscilla. This, and I, just something, ladies, I love you guys. I want you to understand something. Who's named first? Who is it? Is it Aquila or Priscilla? Huh? It's Priscilla. Priscilla is named first. She's got to get Aquila off the dime. (laughs) Say, hey, Aquila, he needs to know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit like Paul taught us. Come on. Well, honey... He's a lot better preacher than I am. I think we ought to just leave him alone. No, come on. We need to teach him what Paul. Ladies, don't ever give up on your husbands. Just keep, because they went together and they taught him what he didn't know. And I think that's awesome. Because they, he, he learns about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, okay, I've heard they need help over in Corinth. You guys got this. I'm going to head off to Corinth. And Apollos goes on. And so, so we see this church at Ephesus, this wonderful little church. It's not very big. Aquila and Priscilla got it started when Paul dropped them off on his way back on the second missionary journey, Apollos comes along and he adds to it. He plants, he waters. And then we come to chapter 19. And here comes Paul. Paul is going to be coming for the first time to Ephesus. Verses 1 to 10. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth... Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. There's people there, Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos have all done their job. There's disciples there now. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? 
And they said to him, no, we have, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Unto the, into, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came into them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were in all about 12 men. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading with them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And they took place, this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Sometimes we think, that God's work is instantaneous. We want to we want to see a church grow like magic. And that's not what it takes. It takes hard work. Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos had been working in in Ephesus. We don't know exactly how long they were there, but it was at least months if not years because we really don't know how long Paul stayed at Antioch, how long it took him to make that trip across because Paul wasn't a one-night wonder. He didn't go someplace, I'm going to preach here on Sunday and I'll be in the next place next Sunday. He stayed and he preached what the people needed. And so as Paul's making his way across, God is building this church and they have how many? Twelve. Would you get discouraged if you only had twelve people in your church? Yeah, that would be hard, wouldn't it? But it was, it was a growing thing. Priscilla and Aquila, they planted, Apollos watered, Paul is going to continue, and he's going to preach there how long? For two more, two, he stays, preaches in the synagogue for three months, and then stays for two more years preaching at, that, at the temple, or at the house of Tyrannus. He's, he's going to spend over two years preaching in Ephesus because he wants to build the church. And as he, as he preaches, the first question he asks is, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit, don't we? And aren't we blessed? Because we receive the Holy Spirit now at the moment of salvation. Now, why had they not received the Holy Spirit? I believe it has to do with Acts 1.8. Right? And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. How had the Holy Spirit moved? 
In Acts chapter 2, where did the Holy Spirit show up? He showed up in Jerusalem as Peter preached and 3,000 got saved. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That God is working, another time Peter preaches, and 5,000 get saved. That's pretty cool. That's building a church, right? That's a whole lot better than 12. Can you imagine trying to manage 10,000 people overnight as God worked? Not so much in Ephesus. And then in Acts chapter 8, Philip makes a little journey up to a place called Samaria. Oh, isn't that on our list? Right? Philip preaches, people get saved. John and James go up, hey, what's going on here? We want to see what's happening. And they say, have you received the Holy Spirit? Nope, not yet. They lay hands, and where does the Holy Spirit show up? The baptism of the Holy Spirit shows up in Samaria. Peter goes off. He gets called. We, we looked at that the, as the uh, Cornelius calls up and said, Hey, come up to Caesarea and see me. I want to hear what you have to say about the Word of God. He's a Greek. Or, excuse me, he's a Roman, right? He's a Roman. He's a Gentile. And God says, Peter, whatever I've made clean, it's okay, you go with these guys. He goes up there and preaches. And while he is preaching, what happens? They receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now Paul has gone out and he has preached all over the place. They have not heard about the Holy Spirit in Ephesus. And so Paul says, listen, let me tell you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he starts preaching about justification and sanctification. And, and he, he preaches how the Holy Spirit uh, will guide us and lead us. And then he prays for them. And what happens? They receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How is it evidenced? By the speaking in tongues and by prophesying. Oh, that's just like happened in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. Wow, the Holy Spirit is on the Gentiles as much as it is on the Jews. And the Holy Spirit, and this is, will be the last time that we'll see the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit at a separate time from salvation. From here on out, when people get saved, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sorry for my, my poor Pentecostal brothers. If you're one of them, I'm sorry. It happens when you get saved. It's not a second blessing. They get, they get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And something marvelous is going to happen. Now, I want you to... We're going we're gonna to read this next section. And I want you to to stay with me because we're not going to, there's going to be some miraculous things. And it would be real easy to get, get tied up in the miraculous and, and not get into what actually, what happened because the preaching of the Word of God. I want you to remember, how long did Paul preach in Ephesus? Two years. So we're going to read ten verses, and it's going to span... Two years. 
So hang with me. Beginning, oh, excuse me. We are, uh, yeah, here we go. Chapter, chapter 19, verse 1. We already read that. Sorry. Chapter, here, let me hit the button. How's that? Chapter 19, verse 11. And God was performing extraordinary miracles at the hands of Paul. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. But some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempting to name over those who had the evil spirits the same the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued them all and overpowered them so that they fled out at that house naked and wounded. Boy, that'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it? And this became known to all, both Jews and Greek who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also were of those who, were, who had believed, kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began to burn them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. The name of Jesus. How powerful is that name? We sat and we sang a song. Every one of those names of Jesus. Why, why, why does he have so many names? Because we have so many problems. Amen? You know, we have a song, we sing the Waymaker, right? If you have an addiction, he'll break the chains. If you're in prison, he will set you free. If you need, if you need a counselor, he's the wonderful counselor. If you need the almighty God, he's the powerful of all. If you need uh, healing, he's the great physician. What do you need? He has it. He is it. And it's interesting that we see in this that, that Paul always gave the glory to God. He was simply an instrument. Now, I don't know why they put this little thing in here about the handkerchiefs and the... I like hankies, by the way. <laughs> why they put that in there. That, that they would take those, because we have some folks today that say, hey, I want to send you a prayer cloth. 
You send me twenty dollars, I'm going to send you a prayer cloth, and you can you, it'll heal you. They aren't Paul, and even the demons know they aren't Paul because when the sons of Sceva came down, now you have to understand that the Jewish uh, rabbis had people that would go around and do exorcisms. That was their thing. Sounds kind of like the Catholic Church, right? The Catholic Church has people that go around and do exorcisms. And when these seven men came, these seven sons of Sceva came, and they tried to cast out in the what? In the name of Jesus by Paul, who Paul preaches. They didn't know who Jesus was. They only knew that Paul preached Jesus and he could heal. And that demon looked at them and says, Jesus we know. Paul we've heard of. Don't know who you And they just get the snot beat out of them. You know, it's one of those, wow! And off they go. But don't miss two years, Paul preaches. Two years. And as he's preaching, something begins to happen. We call it revival. Now, I don't want you to get something mixed up. Most of us, when we think of revival, we think of an evangelistic meeting where unsaved people get saved. That is not revival. That is an evangelistic meeting where unsaved people get saved. And those are great. That's what Billy Graham crusades were. Mike Silva, we are, we are inviting unsaved people to come to a secular concert so that they will hear the gospel preached by Mike Silva. That's an evangelistic meeting. We want people to come that don't know Jesus, get saved. This was revival. Oh, I wish Janice was here. I was listening to her yesterday about the, the, all the R's, right? Repentance and, and renewal. And, and, well, revival's one of those. And what does revival mean? If you're going to revive something, what? It had to be one time alive. And you make it alive again. Jesus talked to the church of Ephesus in the book of of Revelation and said, you've lost your first love. So at some point in time, they knew the first love. He said, repent and, and go back. And these people, as they heard Paul, it was believers that got changed. They got their hearts right. And as they got their hearts right, God would also move in the unbelievers because they saw the change. Now I want you to see, there's there's four things I want you to see that brought about this revival. Number one, the name of Jesus was exalted. The name of Jesus was exalted. I don't know if you've followed how many times it was the name 
of Jesus that's claimed all through this. Paul never said, oh, look at me, look how great, when, when Paul gave his list of, of how great he was, he said, that's all worthless to me, except for the name of Jesus Christ to be exalted. And the name of Jesus was exalted. He says in, uh, in verse 17, And it became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Why is that important? This is not my church. This is God's church. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ dying on the cross, I would have nothing to preach. It's in the name of Jesus. When Jesus said, hey, uh, he, he, he made a list. He said, hey, listen, who gave cold water? Who gave the cup of cold water? Who took care of the needy? Who took? He said, if you did it in the name of Jesus, I'll remember that. When we do things in the name of Jesus. Now, uh, we, I believe that we have gotten a little bit flippant with the name of Jesus. We put them on, we put them on our cars. Jesus is my co-pilot. Well, I got news for you. He better be your pilot because you don't know where you're going. Only God knows where you're going. You can sit over here and go along for the ride. You can be the co-pilot, but God better be your... It's not Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, you drive. I'm over here. I'll open the gate. That's a cowboy thing. We need to know that Jesus said, I will go before you for good works. Jesus needs to be exalted. He's not my bro to give knuckles to. He's my Savior first, and then he's my Lord. And we need to know that we need to be using his name correctly. Yeah, I used to have, and when I was a cop, not, not all police officers have very nice language. But one thing I would not tolerate was from somebody to use the Lord's name in vain. And I stopped a couple of officers in their tracks when I would say, you know what? When you say that, you're disgracing somebody I love. Would you please stop? And they would look at me like they got whack. What? Yes, Jesus Christ is somebody I love. Please don't use his name like it stopped to make them think. But we as Christians, sometimes we, we kind of get to Jesus Christ as the rubber stamp, right? Yeah, as long as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Stamp on the end, right? In John, when, when Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, he says to his disciples, whatever you ask in my name, that will I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And there's a lot of people that have this all wrong. 
Jesus' name is not a rubber stamp. What is he saying when he says, in my name? It doesn't mean you say my name and you get it. It means you pray in agreement with him. Not, hey, Jesus, here's my want list. Your name at the bottom. We pray in the name of Jesus because we're praying in agreement with him. What does Jesus want? Does Jesus want people to get saved? Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. And it's exalted. And as as Jesus said to them a second time, within the same few hours in John 15... You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. What's he talking about? He's talking, what's fruit? People getting saved. Is it the will of God that people should get saved? That none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And he says, I've appointed you, I chose you, I appointed you to do what? To go and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. That's not, oh God, I need a new Mercedes Benz. Sorry, Mercedes-Benz is not going to get you saved. And then again in John chapter 16, once again, just before he goes to the cross, what does he say to his disciples? Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive it so that your joy may be full. I got news for you. There's nothing of earthly value on this world that will give you joy. It may give you happiness, but I can tell you that 2023 F-350 double cab long bed with a tow package will give you happiness until the time that you crash it. Right? But if we, in my name, if we can grasp that it's in what he wants to do, if we can pray in his values, if we can pray in what his will is, what his desire is, then he will give it to us. It's not the blank check. When we, when we come to Jesus and we exalt his name, we can claim in his name what is his will. And one of those things is that people get saved. We exalt the name of Jesus. He is high and lifted up. The second evidence of revival is confession of sin. Oh, Preacher, really? 
Do we have to go there? Verse 18, and many of those who, who had believed kept coming and confessing and disclosing their practices. What were they doing? They're talk, they, were sorce, they were involved in sorcery. They were involved in magic. They were involved in things that they shouldn't have been. And they were what? They were believers. This is not talking about people that are unsaved confessing their sin. There's only one thing that they need is they need to confess their sin before God for salvation first. As believers, what are we supposed to do? We confess our sins often. And what were they doing? They were for true, true revival to happen. We have to be holy. We have to confess our sins. We have to be the ones that are living the clean life, that are, that are not only confessing, but they're disclosing their practices. They're telling one another. They're being held accountable. First John 1, 9 says what? If we confess our sins, who's he talking to? Believers. He's not talking to the unsaved. This verse is for believers. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, first of all, to do what? Forgive us our sins. We were forgiven the penalty of our sin on the cross. We need to restore our relationship to God because what's the second half of that? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants us to be a clean vessel. You see, people, people that walked through this door that are unsaved and they look around and say, oh, wow, maybe they're a CPA. <laughs> oh, I did their taxes and they cheat on their taxes. Oh, I saw that guy. I, I, I recognized that car. That was the car that was speeding down this road the other day. I recognized that person. I saw him in the bar get drunk the other night. You see, somebody walks through this door. We, now, now, folks, let me tell you. They're gonna, they're, everybody here is on a journey. And some of us are new on that journey. And we may not have changed very much yet, but we better be changing as God reveals those things to us. But if we expect the unsaved world to come in and confess their sins for salvation, we have better be, have our sins confessed and let God be working in our lives. And the, other, the fourth thing, they changed the way they lived. They changed. Notice what they did. And many of those who practiced magic, that's what they were disclosing, right? Brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Some of you might be going, what's 50,000 pieces of silver? 
a piece of silver was one day's wage. So you do the math. You use whatever formula you want to use. But that in our, in our day, day and time, that's a whole lot of money. And how many people were there? It wasn't a whole lot. There were some people that were, magic was their way of life. They decided they needed to change their occupation. Some of them gave up some, these books had to be very valuable. Remember what, this wasn't something that you went down to Barnes and Noble and bought for a dollar, for for $29.95. No, these, every one of these books had to be handwritten. They were very, very valuable and they said, we can't do this anymore. Now I'm going to meddle a little bit. Some of us need to go home and look at our magazines, take them out to the garbage can and burn them and stop the subscription. Some of us need to take our tablets and start going through our our search history and going delete, 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 Some of us need to go to our phones and block some people we're talking to on our phones. Because that's where the sin is. Oh, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to see this text. I can erase it. Oh, trust me, God knows. Absolutely. I don't care how hard you try to hide it. I remember my mom and dad came back from the coast one day and they called me up and said, son, I need to talk with you. Went over to their house and they said, we were at such and such a motel on the coast. And your best friend's wife walked out with another man. I had to go tell my best friend that his wife was cheating on him. Be sure your sins will find you. We need to confess what we're doing before God blows it wide open. And if you don't think that can happen, just watch the news. We have an electoral, uh, we, we got a bunch of people right now that are running for president. And you watch. You watch how much dirty mail comes out. Now you say, wow, that would never happen to me. Don't bet on it. And when it does, you can either stand in shame or you confess it. They changed the way they lived. They burned their books. And I know that everybody has a hard time with burning books because of what happened in World War II with, with Hitler and they burned all the, all the books of the Germans or of the Jewish people so they wouldn't have a history. But I got news for you. We need to burn the things that we're, we're sinning with. And then we've got to change the way we live. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies 
of God to what? Present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be, do not be, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind so that you may prove what? What, it, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If we don't change, we can't expect them to expect to come in here and confess their sins before us. Because we're the ones that God gave the, the responsibility to disciple them. Well, the outcome of all of this was that the word of God was growing mightily and prevailing. Folks, if we want the world to change, we need to be, be willing to change. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up. We're, one of the things that Paul wrote to the Corinthians is that, that they would come to the communion table with sin. And Paul said that some of you are sick and some of you are dead because you came unworthily to the table. I don't do this very often. But I'm going to ask the worship team I'm going to ask the worship team to just play softly. And, and I'm going to ask you, if you have something that you need to get right about, we're going we're to make these two pews right here in front. They're going to be our altar. If you, need to, if you need to talk to myself or one of the other elders, we'll be glad to pray with you. But, but I think today's a day when we do business. So I'm going to ask you right now as they pray, I want everybody just to be silent, to be quiet. And if you need to repent about something, if you need to get something right, if you need to confess something, I'm going to ask, and I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to come down and say, what is it? And I'm not going to make you stand up and tell everybody what you're... But I believe there's a time to, to publicly say, I'm done. I'm done with this sin. So if you would like to come right now as we just pause. Everybody just quietly pray in your seats and this area is available if you want. If you want somebody to pray with you as you come up, just lift up your hand and we'll have somebody pray with you. This is your opportunity.